0: serve you we're just waiting for you Lord without you we can do nothing we're nobody's Father without you but for whatever reason Lord you chose to love us Father you've called us to this place tonight and so we pray that you've been honored by our songs Lord and, and by our time of worship pray Father that you would just speak in a mighty and powerful way through ken lord i pray you just put your hand upon him right now father give him the words that we need to hear and then father i pray you would open the eyes of our hearts so we can hear it through the power of the holy spirit father just use his words to speak to us and to change our hearts and to mold us and to shape us and to transform us more into the image of your son jesus christ it's in his precious name that we pray amen you can be seated And um, without further ado, let's welcome Ken Bevel to Rosemont Baptist Church.
1: Now that was good. Can you hear me? Okay. Now, that was good for Ken Belville. Now, let's give God a hand clap of praise. Come on. Amen. 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 Recognizing this one fact is that God desires all that we have, who we are, the most intimate parts of our being. And man, I am nothing, nothing helpless and hopeless without him. And I know a lot of people are familiar with me from the movies and different things like that, but man, it has been God all the way. I'm not even an actor, never acted a day before in my life, but God has done some things, some miraculous things in my life that have just been indescribable. Um, but I want to mention just one thing. Uh, I thank God for Pastor Camp for inviting me to come and his staff, they have been fantastic uh, the time that I've been here. But I, I got I to confess one quick thing uh, before I got here, I took some video of the church, some people arriving, you know, getting ready to come in. I want to play that footage real quick. Let's, let's go ahead and play that footage <laughs> real quick. of y'all like that isn't that the truth i know some of y'all were like that on your way here fighting each other get putting licking your finger and putting it in somebody's hair or something or your kids are cutting up and to be honest that's that's a real family that's how families are made up everybody has differences everyone has challenges and we all have issues but you know when they take the picture we make it all look kind of perfect like, the, everything's okay, and, and we have never have any problems, and I'm, I'm Brother Holy Ghost, and my wife is Sister Super Saint, and we never get in any problems, <laughs> all right? But the reality is, you know, families have issues. And before I get started this morning, I want to I wanna tell you just a little bit about me, about my testimony, where I come from because when people see me you know they're thinking man this guy has it perfect this guy is the perfect guy you know he's following scripture he's giving his daughter the ring he's pulling people out of the way of burning you know burning buildings and trains and and different things like that and they get this perception of me that is totally wrong but this is i'll tell you a little about my background i grew up in jacksonville florida um, loved my family, loved my family. We were one of those families that were poor but didn't know we were poor because everyone else around us was poor, so we didn't know. And uh, so I started, um, you know, just doing everyday life. Loved my family, loved my dad, loved my mom. They, they, were, they were together. Uh, and then something happened in our family. You see, my dad had grew up in a fatherless home that allowed him not to understand how a family really works and how to deal with family problems. So my dad started casual drinking, you know, just to have a beer every now and then. He went from casual drinking to heavy drinking, from heavy drinking to heavy drugs. And I saw my family go downhill very fast. And when I saw that, I got very angry as a young child. I got so angry that I started hitting the streets. I started fighting. I started drinking. I started doing drugs. Just all the things that he were doing. Trying to gain the approval of other men, other people, to make myself feel like I was worth something. You see, every day we see children in the street, and we, you know, we see them and we roll our windows up a little bit tighter or we hit the door locks a little bit more or, or we make sure we cross on the other side of the street. But the reality is those young people are going through some issues in their lives. And some of you may be sitting in here tonight. So I started uh, doing all these things, acting out in school, trying to find that acceptance, approval, those different things, and I saw my life spiraling, spiraling out of control. At 17 years old, I knew three things were going to happen to me. I was either going to be dead, in jail, or on drugs. One of the three were going to happen, no doubt about it. So, after almost going to jail when I was a teenager, I said, I've got to do something different. Uh, so I said, I'm going to join the Marine Corps. Where else can I go and get paid for all those things that I did back in the street? <laughs> Shoot guns, run, drink, all that stuff. <laughs> all, that, all that was in the Marine Corps, and I got paid to do it. So I joined the Corps, loved everything about it. I loved the physical fitness. I loved the camaraderie ship. I loved everything about the Marine Corps. And uh, how many people know even though you change environments if your mind never changes you're still the same person so i started after we got back from the persian gulf war in 1991 i started doing the same types of things drinking fighting you know all these different things just just all over the map and i had a first sergeant he called me in he said come on in here corporal bell i want to talk to you about something He said, I know what you're doing during your off-duty time, and if you don't stop it, you're going to go to jail. And I said, sure, first sergeant. Okay, got it. I left his office. I said, well, I need to change some things around. I can do some things different and just change up the people that I'm hanging with and go some different places, and they'll never catch me. Well, a couple weeks later, he called me back in his office. He said, stand at attention. I was in front of his desk. And he started reading me my rights. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you can or say will be used against you. in court. And I was like, whoa, stop, you don't have to do this. He said, no, I have to do this. Because people like you just don't get the point. And I felt like my world was crumbling down around me. Have you ever had that point in your life, and don't raise your hands, if you ever had that point in your life to where you've done something very wrong and sin has just taken you down a path, that you just feel like you can't come back from. The first thing I thought about was suicide. I thought about just ending it all, because I could not bear the weight of the shame and the guilt that came along with that, because they were going to take me to a federal penitentiary, send me to a federal penitentiary. So I couldn't bear the weight of that. I thought about committing suicide, so now I can't do that. Second thing I thought about was just running away. I, maybe I could just run away and just get, get away from the problems and you know I can just deal with them later on in life. I said, no, I can't do that either. But the one thing I did remember is my mother. My mother always prayed for me. She said that the day that you hear the Lord's voice, don't harden your heart. Accept him and receive it. And I got on my knees that day and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, if you're real, I need to know you right now, because I'm at the bottom of my rope. And just like the Bible talks about a peace that surpasses understanding that keeps your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, he sent me a peace that I couldn't understand. And all of a sudden, something was different. Circumstances were still the same, but something in my mind, something was different. So I got up from my knees and... You know, everything kept going. I said, you know, I'm just going to have to face the music. I'm going to have to do what I need to do. And, you know, if, if things happen, they just happen. I go to jail, whatever. It just happens. So I started going, and I'm getting interviewed and these different things. So I'm in a parking lot, in a Walmart parking lot one day. Three guys walking toward me. They said, hey, are you saved? And I said, no, I'm not, but I need to be. And right there in that Walmart parking lot, I raised my hand and gave my life to Jesus Christ. That was, that was the beginning of God turning my life completely around. It was almost like he said, you know, he put his hand in the small of my back and he said, son, I got somewhere for you to go and you don't have time to play around. There's things I need you to do for the kingdom and there's no time to play around. You know all that playing church you used to do when you were little, coming in, hearing the message, running back out and, you know, just being a different person Monday through Saturday and trying to be someone different on Sunday? He said, there's no time for that. There's something that I need you to do. So I left that parking lot. I started getting involved in church and men just getting around other strong men to tell me what it meant to be a man in Christ and how to honor my family and and different things like that. And the next thing I know, a lady comes to our base because I'm still getting interviewed and all these uh, interrogated and all these different types of things. A lady comes to our base. She said, are you Corporal Bevel? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, I've heard about all the things that you're going through, but I'm what they call a monitor. A monitor is a person that moves you around in the Marine Corps. And she said, I just want to let you know, they have dropped all the charges on you. Where do you want to go? Nobody but God can do that. No one but God can do that. I said, lady, as far away as you can get me out of this place. (laughs) She sent me all the way to Japan, 6,000 miles away. So I, went to, I go to Japan, and I mean, God is just really doing things in my life. I mean, it's just coming like, it's, it's like a rapid pace. I graduated high school with a 1.8 grade point average. I don't even know if that's possible if we got teachers in the room. Amy, aren't you, you used to be a teacher? <laughs> I, I don't even know if that's possible to graduate, you know, that low. But, man, I graduated with a 1.8, and the Marine Corps, after almost court-martialing me, said, hey, you're good leadership material. We want to send you to college <laughs> and major in engineering with a 1.8. I said, nobody but God can do that. So I go to college in the University of Memphis. I'm smiling the whole time I'm on campus because I'm, I'm thinking, if you guys just knew what I knew, you would not even let me on this campus. <laughs> and, and I'm just looking at this, and I'm examining my life, and I'm trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you desire for me to be? What do you want with my life? And on one side of the street, uh, here I am at a church getting groomed uh, by men in our church, and I'm going out evangelizing, witnessing, pulling guys out of drug houses and talking to guys on the street and, and, and just talking, you know, talking to people who are getting ready to commit suicide because I've been there. I can I can I understand what they're going through. But on the other side, here's the guy with the one point eight trying to figure out, Lord, you know, I need to study. So I need to devote all of my time to this. And God, at the same time, was saying, "You know what? Don't worry about. It. You just take care of this. Take care of what I'm telling you to do." But God, you know, I, need, I really need to study. I need to make sure I get in my books. You know, I'm I'm already behind in my thinking. I need to make sure. He says, "Don't worry about that. I'll take care of that. You just continue to do what I've told you to do." My wife can tell you. Every Sunday, they used to put me up in front of a church. The church was probably about two thousand people. Seat two thousand people. I would get. I mean, I wasn't used to speaking in front of crowds. <laughs> I was standing at the pulpit and every third word was amen. I would be beads of sweat coming down. <laughs> I mean, just, I, I, I just could, I mean, it was so, I was, had so much anxiety and this went on for almost a year and a half. And finally, I just said, I can't do this anymore. I went to the pastor. I said, Can you please? Please sit me down. I, there, there are radio personalities in the room. There are people that work at the tele. They can do this much, be- you know, much better than I can ever do it. He said, nope, you're not sitting down. Get back up there. You better pray before you go up there. And he put me back up there. And I kept doing it, and I kept doing it, and I kept doing it. And God was changing me from the inside out. But at the same time, I was over here trying to do what he's called me to do. And, and, and then I was doing my, my schoolwork over here. Ended up graduating the top of my class. Uh, in computer engineering technology. Isn't that amazing? You know why that's amazing? Not because of Ken Babel, but only God can do that. Only God can do that. Ended up leaving there, going to get a master's degree and and doing all these cool things, and I was called what they call a a general's aide, and I flew all around the world and had all these cool jets, and I could pick up the phone and call helicopters if I needed them, and it was just all cool, and God was really preparing me to do what I do now. Like I told you before, I don't even act. I've never acted a day in my life. Can y'all believe that? Never, never acted. Other than being a tree in a preschool play, I have never (laughs) did anything like this before in my life. Never. Only God can do this. So when you look at my life and you look at the things that are going on around me, just understand and know that, man, this is none of my doing. God has done all these things and put me all these, in all these places so that I can tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason. And to bring glory to his name. That's the only purpose that I'm here standing before you today. Is to tell people about the hope that I can only be found in Christ. And when you think about that and you look at that and you look at our families and you look at how we're structured and how we're laid out, I think about my own family and how broken I was and how I desperately needed attention. And I want to tell you the back into that story before I move on. My dad continued to, to do drugs, real heavy drugs. I saw him one day. I came home, and he was just in a broken state. I mean, just no clothes on and just the smell of drugs in his house. And, and I started talking to him. I said, Dad, what are you doing? You know, he was, I was like, you know, you know you don't have to live like this. And he said, I know, son, I I don't want to live like this. And it's just so hard for me to stop. And I just want to stop. And I grabbed him. I said, do you know Jesus died for your sins? And I started ministering to him. And as I ministered to him, tears ran down my eyes. And he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And we were able to reconcile that relationship. Because truth be told, there was a lot of bitterness, a lot of hurt on both parts so when that, re- that, that relationship was reconciled, five years later, my dad passed away. But I was so glad that we were able to reconcile that relationship. And when I think about that relationship, I think about my family and the things that uh, we go through as families and look at what, the picture that the world paints of us and how they say, well, this is what you want, this is what you need, this is what you have to have. So I, I had a little illustration here. Um... These gumballs represent our time in one week. Oh, can you can you guys see over there? Okay, all right. These gumballs represent one week. One hundred and sixty-eight golf uh, gumballs. Yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. All right. My time is running away here. See that? Literally. All right. This is this this represents our time. One hundred and sixty-eight hours in a week. All right? When you think about that 168 hours in a week and you think about the activities that we do in those weeks, let me, let me, this is what really kind of just struck me. Okay, you look at the biggest jar here uh, personal activities, sleep, getting dressed in the morning, you know, different things like that. 67 hours in a week. That's what you do. Okay? You see how many balls are in there? Okay. Eating and drinking. Educational activities, it's about 11 balls in there, okay? About 11, about 11 hours, all right? Some more than others, but, you know, I hear y'all some laughing out there. You eat about five hours a week, yeah. <laughs> but eating and drinking, that's about 11 hours right there, okay? Um, household activities uh, and work-related stuff, going to work, you know, different things like that, 37, 38 hours, okay? That's what you do in a week, all right? Right there. Um, purchasing household goods about 10 uh, hours a week. Some of you, a little bit more than that, you know, going to the store like every day, three hours a day, you know, you got a little bit more. But on average, about 10 hours a week that we do shopping. Okay, and one of the last ones is leisure, emailing, texting, sports. It's about 37 hours a week also. Okay? Uh, As you look at these gumballs, that represents your time. How much time do you think we spend on religious activities, on average? Praying, how much time do you think we spend on religious activities? Praying, reading our Bible. How many? Two. Three hours, on average, per week. And this is how it hit home with me. If, if, if I want my family to be different and to be changed through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, why is this the smallest of all of these? Wow, isn't that incredible? Look at all these. All that time that I spend eating and sleeping. Look at all that. All that time texting and different things like that. And with the word of God and prayer, three hours, if that. That's 30 minutes a day reading your Bible, maybe 10, 15 minutes praying. Maybe one or two worship services, you know, during that time, three hours. So when when I think about my life and I think about my family and where I desire uh, for God to take my family, and I looked at Deuteronomy 6, it just really opened up for me for, a man, what I need to be doing for my family. And how the structure of the family is set up. So I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now let me read this. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you're going over to, possess it, so that you, your son, and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and to be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly. Just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen to this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your home and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and you ate and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. So there are five things that I saw in that particular verse that pertain to family, that pertain particularly to my life that I had to make sure I understood. Number one thing is consistency. There must be consistency uh, in the Word of God, reading the Word of God, listening to the Word of God, because understanding God's Word Understand that God's word was given to us as a benefit so that we can live life out. Because the first things he talks about is you have to fear the Lord. We have to have a reverent fear of the Lord, understanding who He is as God, the Creator. Number two, we have to keep His statues, and His statues are a God for our living. It took me a long time to understand the consequences of sin. You see, when we don't read God's word and and we don't look at God's word, we don't really truly understand what we're getting into, you know, with regard to the consequences of sin. And when I look at my life and and the life of my family and the life of my children, there are three areas that have to be in sync with God's word. The home has to look like the school. The school has to look like the church. All three of these have to be in sync meaning that what's taught at home has to be taught at school. What's taught at school has to be taught at church. Whenever one of those things are out of balance or off kilter, children get confused. But I, but I thought you told me over here that, you know, homosexuality was okay. But now I go home and I go to church and no, it's not okay. Or, or mom, I thought you said it was okay that I hung out with these certain people over here, but now I go over here and, and it's not okay. You see, children get confused whenever those things are, one of those things are off-kilter. They start getting confused about life. Does that make sense to you guys? Have you seen that in your lives or in your families? Inconsistency. Like in our house, you know, when we, you know, all these shows, Hot Housewives of Atlanta and, and all these different types of shows, they even got this, this show called First Ladies. It's the first ladies of churches. I was like, what in the world is going on here? It's because things are not consistent, you know, in our lives. So the first must be consistency. It says in 1 John 5 and 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We have to continue to take the word of God, hide it in our heart, continuously for our families. This guy asked me, I don't need to read, I don't need to read the word every day, do I? I said, yes, you do. Why do you have to read the word every day? Just look at the gumballs. The thing that you spend the most time doing will will influence your life without a shadow of a doubt. If you like playing football, guess what? Football will influence your decision-making process. Well, how does that do that, Ken? Well, listen to this. Okay, man, pastor's having church Sunday night. Oh, I can't go Sunday night. The game is on Sunday night. I got to go see the game. I can't take this one. I got to see it live. Influencing your decision-making process. Oh, I see these boots at the store. I just got to get these. I know the credit card bill is high, but man, these things are on sale. I've got to get them. Influencing your decision-making process. The the thing that you invest in the most will have your heart and will keep your heart. The second thing I saw, number one was consistency. Number two is unity. When you look at verse 4, he said, the Lord our God, he is one. The Lord our God, he's one. Consistency, and it may sound the same. Consistency and unity may sound the same. But consistency is defined as a steadfast adherence to the same principles. Okay? We have the same principles. Just like in here, we have the same principles. We, we, we learn from the word of God. This is, this is the authority. So we have the same principles, but unity is defined as the absence of diversity or oneness in mind. Let me break that down for you because people think, okay, consistent in unity, they're one, but they're not because in, even in the church body, even in your home, you can be consistently, hey, we all read the Bible in our house. We all understand the Bible. We all understand God is one. And he's our God, but you could not be, you, you may not be in unity Meaning that you could be all off doing your separate things and not really worried about the family as a whole, does that make sense? Daughter's over here, she 's reading her iPod iPad, you know husband's over there, he 's looking at the game, wife is over there, she 's looking at the paper. you know the dog is over there he 's tearing up everybody's socks. you know no oneness, no unity of the family. So when you look at unity, ephesians four two and six says with all humility and all gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance. For one another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are also called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father who is over all and and, and all and through all and in all. We have to preserve that unity of our families. So number one, we've got to be consistent. We've got to be in unity. And then number three, we have to take ownership. Wow, if you look at verse 5 and 6, this is what it says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The question I have to ask is how can someone tell me what love is who has not experienced real love? Let me phrase that another way. How can you tell your children to follow God if you don't follow him yourself? In obedience. How can you how how can we I used to see a guy every Sunday at this church I used to go to, he used to pull up to the church, drop his family off, and take off every Sunday. It was like it was like clockwork. Every Sunday he would do that. Pull up, drop his family off, and just pull off. Hey, I'm going home. And I stopped him one day and I said, Hey man, I said, You're not coming in with your family? He said, no, I got some things to do back at the house. I'm going to go back and do that. I said, man, you don't know what they're teaching your family in here. He drove away, and then I saw that car come puttering back in the garden. <laughs> Pull it in there. I'm going to just go in here and check it out just for a little bit. <laughs> but when you think about that, we, we have to make sure the word of God is written on our hearts. You can't love anyone. You can't love anyone the way you're, you're supposed to unless you understand what love is. How can I teach my children about Christ when I'm not fully following him myself? There has to be some ownership in this and say, you know what, Lord? I need to get some things right in my life. And I understood that. And some some of us men, we're like, well, my wife's the spiritual leader of the house, you know. Where in God's word does it say that? Say that. It doesn't say that at all. God says you're the head, the head of the family, the spiritual leader for that particular family. Well, my wife studies more than I do. So what? Get in the Bible, study more. Understand the position that God has placed you in as husbands. Well, my wife prays more, and, and that may be so, and that's great. But God has placed you as the head of that family, so you need to get in the Scripture, read, and see what the Scripture says and, and understand what it says so when your wife or your children have a question, you're able to, they, they're able to come to Daddy and say, Daddy, the Scripture said this or someone said this. What, what do you have to say, to say about that? And you take them right back to Scripture. This is what the Word of God says. You know, son, I may not understand all this, but from what I read in Scripture, this is what the Word of God says. You see, I was inadequate. I, I felt like I was so inadequate. My wife and I we used to go to this church in Japan, and they used to do Bible drills. Y'all know what Bible drills are? Man, I ha- I was so scared every Wednesday night walking to that church. I was having anxiety attacks. My wife was like, You go ahead and go, I'll meet you when you get back home. But Bible drills are where somebody stands up in front of the church, and they'll say, Hey, John. Come give me three memorized verses from the Bible, and you got to say them accurately. And man, I'm telling you, I like had a panic attack every time I got ready to go up there. So he called me one day. He said, "Ken, come on up here. Give us three Bible verses." I come up there and I give three Bible verses. Jesus wept. You know, he suffered. <laughs> you know, I was just giving some verses. He was like, "All right." So I kept doing it over and over and over. And and, and I just, I stopped trying to just memorize the verse, but I started applying it to my life. You know, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I may ask or even think according to the power that works within us. I start remembering those verses and seeing how those verses apply to my life. Psalms 51 when David says, you know, Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renewing me a right spirit. Don't cast me away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And I start thinking, I start looking at those verses, and I start applying them to my life, and I was like, man. So one day we were at a conference. About this many people were at the conference. And I'm with my pen and a paper, and I'm just, yeah, man, it's going to be good. you know. And all of a sudden, did I hear this. Ken, Brother Ken, come on up here. I said, oh, God, no, not now. <laughs> so being a Marine, I get up out of obedience, and I come on down, and I'm smiling, looking at him like, don't you say that please he said okay brother ken brother john and and brother Ingram, y'all come on up here stand up here across the front he said i want you guys to start saying all the scriptures that you've memorized and i was like i'm gonna be the first to get john three sixteen. i know i'm gonna get the first john 3 <laughs> you know and we started rattling off scriptures and boom 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 and it just kept going boom 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 we got up to a hundred scriptures with the three of us scriptures that we realize well, memorize put them in our hearts and start applying them to our lives and so now today when i'm witnessing to someone i can tell them hey john you know uh you know romans 3 23 romans 6 and 23 romans 5 and 8 you know romans 10 9 10 you know i can tell them because these words have been printed on my heart and i can tell them i don't need to pick up the scripture anymore this is the word of god but i've written it on my heart you know why you need to write it on your heart? Because Scripture says this. In Romans, I'm sorry, not in Romans, in, in Psalms 119, verse 11, it says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart, so that I shall not sin against you. Thy word have I written or hidden in my heart, so I shall not sin against you. Also, Jeremiah 19, 17 and 9, it says, The heart is, def- is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who may know it? So if you know that your heart is deceitful and wicked, you've gotta plant things in there, the Word of God. Continually planting the Word of God in your heart so that everything I say, every action that I do, every, every, every answer that I give is directly from the Word of God. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that where we wanna be? I was in Burger King one day, and uh, this lady uh, was at the counter, and uh, I love Burger King. I, I love a Whopper. And I was like, man, I got to get me a Whopper. So I walk into Burger King, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm on my way. I think I was on my way to church. And, and uh, I go up to the counter. I said, ma'am, I said, can I get a number one? No onions with cheese. She said, excuse me? I said, uh-oh, it's, it's on. I, I just felt it rising up. I said, oh, let me bring it back down. I, said, I just want a number one with some fries and a Coke and we don't have any of those. I said, ma'am, this is Burger King. How, 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 how do you not have hamburgers? You know, um, She said, well, what you want? And I was like, oh, man, this is really burning me up. Now, customer service for me, that burns me up. So, you know, and I was thinking to myself, I should just throw this money right back in your face, and you're going to get it. You know, <laughs> That's what I was thinking. In my heart, that's what I was thinking. But something said, no, no, don't do it. Don't do it hold back, hold just, hold what you got. So I didn't do it. And I mean, the guys in back of me, they were egging me on. Can you, I can't believe you did that, man. I can't believe you took that. I would have, I would have did this and I would have did that. I said, man, you know, it's okay. It's, it's, it's fine. So I walk away. Guess what? Sunday, I see the guy that's in line behind, the, the guy that was in line behind me in church. Now imagine what would have happened. I had gone off, I get in the pulpit, I'm sweating bullets again. Do you think he could have received anything that I said? He probably would have got up and walked out and said, you know what, I saw that guy. I'm not a Christian, but I know a phony when I see one. There was no fruit of the Spirit, there was no no none of that. So, in everything that you do, I want to be able to emulate Christ. The Bible says that we are a fragrance. We are the fragrance of Christ. Everywhere we go, you should be allowing a scent to come off your man. People say, Man, I don't know you, but it's something about you. It's just pleasant to be around. Or are they saying the opposite? I just really can't stand to be around. She has an attitude all the time. Or at home. Man, when dad comes in, we know it's just something terrible getting ready to happen. He's going to cuss mom out. He's going to grab her or something. Are you exhibiting the fragrance of Christ throughout your everyday life and throughout your family? So that's number, that's number three. Number four, teaching. We must teach our commandments, uh, his commandments to our children. I want to park there for just a second. Verse 7. Uh, Not only are we to study and we are to impress God's word on our lives, our teachings should repeat, reiterate, or do a thing again and again uh, to sharpen any instrument, which is our children. Not only at church, but at home. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, as you go, that's what I call, two words, simple words, write this down, intentional fatherhood. I've got to be very, very intentional about leading my family to Christ. Right now in our household, this is what we do every night. Okay, Some nights I'm too tired. My wife tell you, I'm, I just pass out on the bed. But every night in my house, we, when I'm home, we come together as a family and we pray together as a family. Um, number, the first thing that we do is we say the Lord's Prayer. My son is three and my daughter is five. Both can recite it by memory. When I saw them Uh, memorizing all the Barney songs and all that stuff I say they're able to learn scripture so we taught them uh, the Lord's Prayer after the Lord's Prayer um, they say a little prayer God bless mama God bless daddy God bless me Ma, everybody in the family you know we bless everybody and then after that there's a scripture that they have to remember whatever the cubby scripture for that week is they have to memorize it and repeat it back to my wife and I. What is the scripture? What is the scripture? And for one week, we do that same scripture over and over every night. And then, as a dad, okay, I'll either read to them. Or sometimes I'll read to them first. And I'll read to them the Bible. I got a little kid's Bible. We brought it with us tonight. And it's a little Bible. Um, and I start telling them about from Genesis all the way down. I think we're in Deuteronomy right now. And I have to put a little... You know, fun into it, so they can. I don't lose their attention. But man, look at this fire! Whoa, this is the fu- this is a burning bush. wow did you see, this Karen? She's like, wow, that's an incredible, Dad. I said, wow, did you see Jacob and Esau? Which one was the hairy one? Which one was the which one was the smooth one? Caleb's like, Esau, Daddy, I like Esau. You know, and I love you know, and, and they're getting so involved in it. And last night we got ready to go to bed. I was like, I was like, God, I am dead tired. I said, I got to go to bed. And they started crying. And I said, God, that's how I want to be with your word. I don't want to miss a day of it. I want to see what comes next. What are you telling me next? But as a father, that's my responsibility. I don't try to get my wife up and say, come on, baby, you got to read. It's your night to read tonight. That's my responsibility to shepherd my children's heart and point them right to the cross. And then after I'm done with that, I go to each one's room and I pray with them and I affirm them. Sweetie, you are so beautiful. Man, God is doing wonderful things in your life. He's given you a good memory. He's given you this. And man, I'm just so proud to be your dad. Any opportunity we spend together, I'll just love spending time with you. And I do that to her, and then I go to my son's room. I say, son, I love you so much. I'm just really happy to see the man that God is making you to be. And they get that affirmation from their dad. y'all think they need that? Y'all think that's important? Yeah. Statistics show that there are 24.7 million children in fatherless homes. million children. That's 36% of children are in fatherless homes or come out of fatherless homes. And we wonder why our society is so screwed up because there's nobody to affirm. There's nobody to love. There's nobody to teach me God's standard. How can I know this if no one is teaching me? So when I look at my responsibility as a father I'm making sure we're getting that time in. We are getting that time in. Whatever time I can get in. Sometimes I go to work. I go to Bible studies in the morning at 6 o'clock in the morning. And at 7 o'clock, I'll ride back home on purpose just to pick up my kids and take them back to school. Just to see what they learned last night. And just to spend time with them. Time is one of the most important things we can give our children. Time. Spend time with them. Teach them the word of God. I'm telling you, the investment will not come back void. God's word will not come back void. Then the last thing, a reminder. When you look at verse 8 and verse 9, this is what it says. It says, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Each time our children look at our lives and environment, it should be a consistent or a constant reminder of God's word for them. You see, you can't be different. You can't be, watch this, you can't be in your room looking at adult shows and when your kids come in there and say, go back to your room. Mom and dad's watching mom and daddy stuff. You can't do that because it's inconsistent. Remember what I told you? It's all got to be Consistent. We have to make our lives, ensure that our lives line up with God's word. When you look at that also, and I look at, you know, Colossians 1 and 10, it says, we pray this, that in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and, he, and, and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing into the knowledge of God. I mean, every day we should be growing into the knowledge of God. And our kids see that same us growing into the knowledge of God. So the question becomes, what are we going to do about it? And I showed you, you know, these jars uh, earlier. and society, what they do is they compartmentalize our lives. They compartmentalize. They say, okay, these are all the significant areas: uh, when you sleep, when you go. But the scripture tells us that it can't be compartmentalized. All of these jars. Have to be consistent. So at home, at work, at the grocery store, even at church, all has to be consistent with God's word. When God says in verse 7 as you go, while you're going, when you lay down, when you rise up, whenever you're teaching your kids and training them how to be godly men and women. I was talking to some, I got an accountability group. I got four guys that I meet with every Friday morning. And you know what we were talking about this morning? Dating is nowhere in the Bible. We're preparing our daughters for for to be a spouse, a wife that will love her husband. Society paints this picture. Oh, you got to go get a job. What if he leaves you and, and you don't have any money? You know what? They're already setting you up for failure. But in everything we do, we're pouring the word of God in. So when you're going, when you're at the grocery store, when you're at work, everything exemplifies the life of Christ. Like kind a of sweet smelling smell or savior. My wife says, How do you know God has nostrils? I said, because it says it in the Bible, that's why. But it's like a sweet smell to him. Everywhere we go, we're setting off the fragrance of Christ. And not only outside the home, but inside the home. So then comes the challenge. What do we do? How do we leave here, uh, continue to be those courageous mothers and fathers uh, that God has called us to be? You probably didn't have a good start growing up or you had a good start growing up, but you got off track in one way, one way or the other. <clears throat> but God wants you to know that forgiveness is available. Forgiveness is definitely available. You might have punted it in the stands just like, my, just like my dad did. The great thing I love about my dad, and I love to tell people this, is that he didn't start well, but he finished well. He finished well. And I got a chance to speak at his funeral, and I saw my aunt give her life to the Lord after that funeral. He didn't start well, but he finished well. So tonight, I want to call, you know, I want to pray for us corporately. But I also want to issue the challenge. If you're a family, and you know, hey, I've done some things wrong, and I'm not, definitely not where I'm supposed to be, I want to invite you to come down to the altar. If you're a single parent and you say, man, you know, I've, I've stored all this bitterness and anger against my, my, my former spouse. But, man, I need to lay it at the altar and just, just leave it there and allow God to do this work in my life. And helping me shepherd my children's heart toward the cross. Because right now in my life, it doesn't matter to me whether my child goes to Yale or Harvard or they become a doctor or anything like that. The most important point is did they give their life to Jesus Christ? And are they leading their families to Christ? And generations and generations and generations after that. That's what true success looks like leading and guiding our families to the cross. Amen. So I want to pray for us. And if your family, um, if we can get some soft music, I want you to come on down. And just pray with your family right here at the altar. Um, if that's you, just come on. Yeah, just come on. If that's you, come on. Come on. Come on down to the altar. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much uh, for tonight. And God, how you're challenging all of us uh, to go deeper in you. Uh, to look to the cross in everything that we do. God, I pray that I, am de- I dare not be disqualified from the race for falling out, not being a dad who cares about his family, cares about my wife. God, I pray to seek you, and as I seek you, God, I grow, clo- I grow closer to them. Father, we've not all did it right. We've had some issues in our lives, but God, I pray that as couples come down and as they're kneeling at the altar, God, I pray that you repair marriages, prayer relationships show us how to be the godly parents that we've called that you've called us to be God I'm reminded of King Jehoshaphat in 2nd Chronicles in their desperate plea to the Lord he said Lord we don't know what to do but our eyes are fixed on you so God I pray tonight that as we come and as we pray tonight God, that you would lead our hearts and show us how to lead our families. These and all things we ask in your son Jesus' name, amen.